0: to know podcast explores best practices innovation and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you the listener stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape
1: Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W two O, and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I have the privilege today of broadcasting live from Celgene Corporation, which is in Summit, New Jersey, and I am going to be speaking today with uh, Jalissa Vienna, and she is leading global social media at Celgene Corporation. Welcome, Jalissa. Great. Great to be here, Aaron. Well, it's great to have you. And I know we've been planning this for a while. Um, we had a couple little curveballs that came up. Um, <laughs> And, and I do want to preface that because we, you and I talked a little bit about this. Since we originally agreed to do this, I think back in October, November, um, you have been acquired by BMS. We're not going to talk about that today and actually as a preface to this. Uh, We are going to sort of talk about this like we would have talked about back in November December, but congratulations It's always exciting news and probably a little uh, crazy to go through that but with that I would love to um, Dive into a little bit of your history. This is where I like to start with a lot of the guests And And, uh, I I usually do my research research on on LinkedIn and this always you know (laughs) keeps people honest in terms of how up-to-date their LinkedIn really is But it sounds like you started your career as a spokesperson media relations coordinator for the Red Cross So clearly your health day started early. <laughs> and then after several years in the agency world, you moved over to the brand side with stents at Novartis, uh, Synovian, Archimedes, and for the last six years, Cellgene. So, you know, starting with those early days, what inspired you to, to head down that sort of health and, and wellness path?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I <clears throat> was in high school, obviously, I always sort of knew um, that I wanted to do public relations, that I was interested in, in talking, uh, you know, doing communications in some way, shape or form. Didn't really sort of know a lot about it back then, um, but sort of fell into this job very early on at the Red Cross in New York City. And my first week on the job, unfortunately, was when TWA Flight 800 crashed. And what was really kind of eye opening was sort of the hands-on training that I received right off the bat I mean I had to learn you know key messages uh, and be able to get them out repeatedly uh, to a variety of media outlets um, you know and and it was probably the most emotionally draining time but also exciting because it was my new job and I was you know first week on the on the premise of, of what I was doing and so that began kind of the foray into healthcare because after after that you um, after the crash of TWA Flight 800, there were other disasters and things that I handled in New York City. I ended up moving into Manhattan and began doing uh, training courses. I began to do uh, a variety of stuff in the healthcare space because that's obviously another part of the Red Cross besides disaster support. And after about a year and a half of that, I was pretty a year a half of that I was pretty uh, drained and exhausted and decided, you know, let me go back into sort of the PR world and kind of maybe go back and follow more traditional paths. So I joined agency world and uh, I remember my interview actually was with Ketchum and and we talked about well where do you want to go because you could do a variety of things you know healthcare you want this you want that and interestingly enough you know when I had gotten the job at uh, at American Red Cross it was the same week that my brother fell ill and You know, so while I'm dealing with sort of this emotional external event that everyone knew about, I was also dealing with something internally, you know, personal uh, with my brother. He later was diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And it began to be kind of a a central focus of my life. And when I had the opportunity to come in to catch him, the PR agency, uh, they said, we have a health practice, we have this practice, that practice. I was like, you know, I I think I really want to focus in on health. So you might have thought it was the Red Cross experience, but it was actually more personal driven. Um, And really from there... That was sort of the path forward for me and everything that I've chosen to do since that job. And uh, every single product I've worked on, every pharma campaign, every pharmaceutical company that I've worked for, really has been driven by my own personal experiences um, from my family and others, um, and, and really driving my interest in this space for the last 20 years.
1: <laughs> well, it's part of why I like to ask is because, you know some people have very logical steps through their careers some people have you know things like this where you're not going to have on linkedin that your brother's health and and you know an illness were the things that sent you down the path and it is interesting because I would say that um, there are a number of people that I've talked to that are, you know, that did end up getting into the healthcare space where there was something personal, whether maybe a parent worked in this space, there were a doctor, a physician, um, or you have an illness that affects you. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So one of the things I do want to talk a little bit about is um, your role as the global social media lead here at Celgene. And I want to talk about what a day in the life looks like for you because I think one... You work in a really hard space to be innovative, and I would argue, based on some things I've seen and experiences I've had, that you do a lot of stuff to push the envelope, and I'm seeing social media here on the wall, and <laughs> this very innovative wall. I have a, took a picture, which I'll have Jalissa clear to see if we can put this up on the blog post with it, but... Um, it is a tough space to do social media, and so talk a little bit about that and what your you know what your daily role looks like and how you sort of fight through all the regulation and sure. I'm sure some bureaucracy that you know any big company brings to bear and trying to do a job that's normally very nimble and agile.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I think a lot of it stems back from kind of my PR days, frankly. You know, I think the role I always thought I played back then was this translator to the layperson, and. I think with the advent of social, it felt so natural for me to transition into this space because it's not too dissimilar, you know, distilling down a message in a very (laughs) short form and and creative way and kind of really trying to grab attention uh, is all about, I think, what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years in some way, shape or form. So it was kind of a natural progression for me. And I don't think it's always the case for all PR people. Um, But for, for me, you know, I... I spent the last several years here at Celgene, sort of evolving our policy and our approach, and and purposely, you know, it's never no to me; it's always how. So, and and that's the approach I take with our legal, regulatory, compliance colleagues. It's like, look. It, Let us let us understand what's really happening in the space, um, which I think ties to some things I know we'll talk about when it comes to insights and analytics and all of that. But it's really understanding the tools that are out there. So in this case, social tools, you know, channels like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and how people are using them and the people that we specifically want to be talking to. So in this case, sometimes it's patients or physicians and things uh, and how we can take what we're doing and share it with them. And so all the same principles apply about you know can we bring something of value you know what are we trying to do are we trying to connect people are we trying to um, share uh, resources and information for them that's going to help them make a more informed decision around their treatment or their disease or, or their management of it so you know when it comes to what my life is like on a daily basis it's, it's pretty um, it's pretty hectic. I mean, it's like from hour to hour, I am working on a variety of different things. So I can be talking about an oncology drug in one discussion. I can be talking about our, you know, um, you know, new treatment options in another disease state that might be coming. I may be talking something from a corporate standpoint. I may be working on plans. I may be uh, shifting gears and thinking about some of our European campaigns that we're launching. Uh, I may be attending a session with, you know, Facebook or Twitter or something, learning about, you know, the never-ending changes to those platforms and really thinking about how we can apply what we're learning. I mean, I feel like I am a student of this as much as I am a strategist and a counselor of what we're trying to do here. Uh, So it's evolving all the time. And I think it's incumbent upon me at this point in my career just to kind of continue to absorb and learn and watch and and figure out how to apply in in this space. So it's always a challenge, but it's a fun one.
1: Well, it's good. I mean, that's what jobs should be about, right? Uh, I do want to rewind to something you said, because I think this is maybe a very important piece of the conversation. And if I remember correctly, you and I talked a little bit about this in the past, and that is you mentioned getting legal and regulatory on board, right? So that they are asking how not, you know, not saying no. How much have you conditioned them? Because that isn't normally the way it always goes. And I think good social media strategists and leads actually do figure out early days how to bring their partners on board and get them involved early versus you know, sort of showing up at the last second and saying, hey, surprise, this is what we want to do, and then having to react. So maybe, mm-hmm. I know this wasn't on our pre-prep yeah. questions, no, no. but maybe talk a little bit about that. No,
0: absolutely. So I think part of it is, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be working in this industry for 20 years or so, and I've worked on a lot of product launches. I've worked in marketing. I've worked, you know, across a variety of functions within um, companies, uh, or even when I was on the agency side working with different um Uh, people within the companies around product launches and things. So, you know, you get to learn kind of what the hot buttons are and what you have to stay away from, what the promotional rules are. So I think, you know, generally speaking, what I've always tried to do is put myself in the shoes of that regulatory person, that ad promotion person, that legal person and say, all right, what is it they're going to be concerned about? It's the same stuff that we would, you know, we 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 should know about in advance anyway around what the rules are around promotion. So, yes, there was a lot of hubbub about, whoa, how is social going to handle pharmaceutical advertising and branded, you know, uh, Rx ads and all that type of stuff. Well, generally speaking, the rules of promotion still apply. So it's a different medium, it's a different channel. So for me, it, it was never hard. It was sort of just this idea that if I could apply everything that I've always learned about how to when I put out a press release and how to write about, you know, a product and its indication and the promotional messages around that, that we'd have to get approved before they went out, it's no different in my view. And so it really was coming to the table with that mindset early on. And really the hard part for me was educating our stakeholders like that on the platforms and why we needed to do the things that we needed to do and to convince them that our audience was there, that the people we wanted to reach were there. And to, you know, get out of the mindset that um, that what they're doing on a sales piece is the same thing as what I'm trying to do on social. It's not. There are some differences, clear differences. So, you know, I think I've been fortunate enough to understand all of that and really bring a lot of that to the table in every single discussion. And so, um, I don't pretend to know everything by any means, and that's why I go to them to say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. It's it's about for me honesty and trust and transparency. I'm very what you see is what you get. I'm very upfront and I, I, am not trying to pull one over. And I think they know that about me. And I think, you know, when I've come to the table and said, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish at the end of the day, here's how I think I want to get there using social, using these tools, using these techniques. Um, where, where are the guardrails? Where 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 am I going out of bounds? Um, and, you know, hopefully I've caught that already. But if uh, if I've solved for it, I tell them. And then if there are things that I'm stuck on, I, I ask, hey, where do you think, you know, can I accomplish this? And I think what you find, and maybe I've just been fortunate to always have really good relationships with legal and regulatory colleagues over th- through many years, many companies. Um, what you find is that they can be your partner. And I think, you know, there's always a little bit of of creativity in all of us. And I think sometimes you just have to spark that out of folks. And I think when they sort of can... You know, see the coolness of some of the stuff that we're doing. They cut, they get excited, and they say, "Yeah, all right, let me see if I can, you know, bend my brain a little bit differently to see if this can work." And I, I really, uh, really think I've—that's what I've just been trying to do all along—is just use my power of persuasion and <laughs> PR skills to help them, you know, come along the path and the journey that I'm on to try to do what I need to do for, for our uh, goals and objectives.
1: Well, that's great. And I'm sure that's an inspiration for those listening in that are trying to crack that same nut. I do want to ask you a different variation on this next question because we've covered some of this ground already and you can say, mm-hmm. I can't go down that path. But given the fact that you do live in such a regulated world, um, you are doing great things and reaching hard to, to reach audiences that maybe traditional marketing tactics couldn't reach. Mm-hmm. But with it being so regulated, you can't you know, you can look probably with a eye toward appreciation for what goes on around the Super Bowl and all these great fun sumer, you know, Lay's potato chips kind of things. Yep. Um, who do you look to for inspiration? And where do you find, you know, this is how I'm going to do this? Because I think, you know, it's probably hard within your space because, you know, you people keep things pretty close to the best and probably some of the best campaigns you never even get a chance to see. Right. So tell us a little more about that one.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know there are i have a lot of brands out there that i follow um, it, it, both in pharma and, and and out you know both personal brands and things that I you know consume myself and things that I'm just interested in and obviously there are some really great um, you know social brands that are out there right now that are that are having a great time that are fun that are snarky that are you know whatever they're doing is catching you know media attention and that's exciting and I'm like, wow, I would love to work for a brand like that one day or, or get positive media attention versus negative Um So, you know, it's hard to name specific ones, but I am such, like, as I said before, I'm such a consumer of this stuff. I mean, I don't believe that you can do social media and not be on these platforms. And so I, I learn in, in odd and different ways all the time, one by participating, so if I have a complaint because my I had a problem once with my microwave and I contacted the company that made it on Twitter and sure enough I learned something about their customer service and how I might think about doing customer service just through my own personal experience so it wasn't you know that I'm just such a huge brand you know fan of this brand but it was more of just I had this product and I need to figure out and I, I didn't want to call you know I mean, who wants to call anymore so so sometimes when you sort of put yourself in the shoes of the people that are doing the same things to you every say, every day and you're sort of struggling to navigate it it's kind of interesting I, I always learn something that experience. So I'm, I'm checking, you know, probably several times a day social media, and I'm, I'm always learning and looking, and it's usually related. It's funny uh, if I'm struggling with something with my own business, and I'm trying to figure out how to make something creative or, or, or how to solve a get over, get over a challenge that I'm having um, in communicating because we're so regulated with a patient or a physician. Um, sometimes I find the answers in other industries or, or in my own just by being on Twitter for a little while or just going on Facebook and just like, you know, engaging on things that I'm interested in. And then all of a sudden, it sort of comes to me or I see it and I say, I think I can do that. And let me see if I can apply it. So I I know I'm not completely answering your question, but I think that to me is, uh, you have to be, again, a student of what you're doing. It evolves so much. And there's some great folks out there doing some amazing things that, you're right, I wish I could do, but I, I still get joy out of watching. Well, it actually, within, I again,
1: really I like, like your answer, and in <laughs> fairness to those listening in, I did not give this as a pre-scripted <laughs> no, okay. question, so it is a little bit of, it's why I give some of the, the questions uh, in advance so people can think about it, but I do a lot of that same thing, and I have lived in the space for, I don't know, since 06, I guess, so whatever that is, 12 years in the social space, and I have been a big student of looking and seeing how companies react not only to me, but to others, and actually... I know this is probably an interesting one. We won't go down this path, but I have been lucky because I've been on Twitter since 2007. I have more than the average bear in terms of Twitter followers. And I've tried to not use my Twitter followers you know, for ill, but there have been a few times where I, I know that if I need to get someone's attention, it doesn't hurt. But I like to see how they react to people that have big followers or that are influential versus not because that tells me a lot about, you know, who they are and what they do. So that was a a perfectly fine answer in terms of how you get inspiration. Um, The next one I want to talk a little bit about is you did speak uh, at our analytics summit last October. That was when we started talking about doing this podcast and you had a really nice case that demonstrated how highly targeted data and insights helped inform one of your recent paid media campaigns. And I think this is one that a lot of people want to hear about, and you're actually very kind to share some specific data, which people aren't always uh, inclined to do. Um. Give us a little recap of what that that is and you know, sort of what the, the essence of the talk was.
0: Yeah, sure. So it was a great opportunity. I mean, I think to your point, it's not something we always share uh, in great detail about, but I think it's important. So this was a clinical trial that we were working on in, a, um, in the uh, ulcerative colitis area. And we were um, working with your agency to help us identify some insights around the patient population, what they were doing online, how they were conversing with each other, what were they saying, uh, where were they? Um, and how we could begin to propose to them the option of of Looking at a clinical trial in their treatment journey, and so you know there was a lot that we pulled out of that uh, the insights to give us a a better sense of how to position our content. And so there were things like uh, patients use humor, and they um, obviously it can be very emotional as well. um, But we we really sort of honed in on some of those elements that we learned about what they were experiencing, and saying well maybe there's a way we can reflect back what they're talking about, and uh, you know some of it is humorous, um, but it is a daily struggle for a lot of these patients, and so we wanted to find ways to leverage those insights to, to create content ads, essentially, for this campaign that would make them click. And, and that's what we ended up doing based on the insights that we gathered. So we, um, we knew that clinical trials, again, were a, pretty much a last resort for patients. And so if we could find a way in, and rather than just having a standard ad that it was just, hey, go find out about this clinical trial and see if it's right for you and take a quiz, which, you know, can work to some degree. We, again, wanted to use what we saw reflected in their conversations in a way to kind of integrate into their conversations. So we used some ads uh, that really tried to speak to their daily life and kind of the struggles they were facing. And again, a little bit of frustration and that humor to, to appropriately broach the topic of, well, maybe, maybe there is another option and maybe you should consider this trial, and maybe you should, you know, go and talk to your doctor about it and see if it's right for you and, and kind of hear some information for you if you're interested. And, you know, we ran the campaign for quite some time and 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 we were able to show recruitment into the study, which was obviously a great goal and what was the whole point. But I think, you know, what what always strikes me, because I look at every single comment on every single ad that comes uh, that we push out and every single post we put out which maybe sounds crazy but um I feel like it's part of my job uh that's how I learned and so what I learned is that we hit the nail on the head it resonated people were reacting and sharing and saying yeah that's me or yes that's how I feel or you know I couldn't have said it better and I mean when you see that reflected back you're like yeah you know I did it and so you know it seems like kind of a boring thing to talk about clinical trials, but the fact that we were able to leverage these insights and apply them in a creative way, and they worked, and that and not only because it resonated, but also got people into the trial, it, to me is such a great example of of how we can do this in this space and leverage these platforms. So it was a really interesting uh, learning and campaign for us that we continue to apply those learnings to to future you know other campaigns that we've done, both clinical trials and and not.
1: Well, it's great, and I think you know one and we're going to talk more about this in a second you had the confidence to know that this was going to work or it should work right so you weren't going in and saying hey i've got this crazy idea and i think we have seen other you know brands and in other industries like virgin when they were doing their um their ad, Which essentially is like, look, in the event that you might crash and die, we're going to do this in a funny way because we know we need to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to make, you know, irreverent comments. Like if you're part of the 2% of the population that's never put on a seatbelt, then you should watch this. But I think they help break through the clutter. And so knowing that that's something that's going to resonate and then kudos for, you know, actually implementing it and proving it out is great. Um, To that end, you have been a strong advocate for analytics within Celgene and probably in your other businesses, uh, and I think even beyond just your team. It feels a little bit like a no-duh kind of question, but I don't think (laughs) enough people, you know, really, they pay lip service to it, but they don't actually truly embrace analytics and insights and research and use it for their day-to-day job. I might even hazard a guess to say a lot of people in the social media industry because I think they're, you know, all about the conversation and can get a little fluffy on certain things. So what gave you this passion around, you know, having this power and this knowledge to, to do your job better and help other people do their jobs better?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think uh, I had to think about this for a little bit because I think it's, it's, again, it goes back to some of my early days and the role that I've always thought I've played. And I think when, you know, I was on the agency side for many years, I was able to use Simmons data and other types of data to kind of help me understand the audience that I was trying to reach and helped us figure out what media uh, publications we wanted to reach out to with our news or our stories or our patient highlights and things that we were doing. Uh, it helped me understand that, you know, a patient is more than just a patient, right? They're a consumer. I've, I've said this to you guys many times. There's so many facets to who we are, right? I'm, I'm a patient as well, right? I have a rare disease recently that I was diagnosed with that, um, that I've learned a lot about how I, you know, want to Get information and, and what my preferences are. So all of that to me plays into uh, what we need to be doing in this space. And so if it takes a little bit of extra time for you to read the results of your ad campaign and look at the comments and look at the engagement and figure out what resonated and if people shared it and what they did with it, or or if it you know if you you do this analytics exercise and really kind of get into the insight mining of of what your uh, patient population is talking about or physician population is uh, sharing on Twitter, you know all of that's going to I think. Help you directionally and also may spark some creative uh, brainstorming ideas and it may help you hone in on on what you think you can deliver on where you can intersect with that with that conversation or that sweet spot that, you know, really connects your brand and your company or, you know, whatever it is with uh, with the audience that you're trying to reach. And so to me, it's always been the backbone of what however approached communications anyway and so it was like now that we can do it <laughs> um and we can mine all this stuff it's it's i just i'm a geek i love it i just nerd out on this stuff because i think it's so fascinating it's been days pouring through it and I, it frustrates me when someone wants a plan and analytics are in you know kind of do this insight mining and then they don't read it and I'm like, well, why do we do it? I mean, and, you know, I often get asked, well, how do you apply what you're doing? And I say, I apply it in so many different ways and so many day, like in so many aspects of my work that um, I never stop referring back to that document. And frankly, uh, when it gets sort of outdated after a year or two, I'm like, let's do it again. And, and let's hone in on kind of the unanswered questions. I mean, I, I try to position this to, like my marketing colleagues as, you do market research, right? It's no different, really. So let's let's take a look at what we're learning from the market that we're trying to research, right? Whether it's on social or or in other aspects of, of your business. And let's try start trying to triangulate that data or let's look at it an overlap and let's understand, let's create a full picture of that person or that, you know, audience that you want to to reach. And I don't really get into the whole like persona thing. You know, that's not my thing per se, but it is in that vein, right? Ultimately. We are trying to understand who we are trying to reach. And this data is rich of that. And I think it's uh it takes time sometimes to pull out those insights and figure out. Well, then, how do I act? And you know, are those always actionable? Right? We always ask that. Are these actionable insights? You know, maybe not always. But I think over time, you know, because what I what I end up doing a lot of times with the brands that I work with and, and, and the folks that I work with across the company for different reasons is if we're you know we're doing some analysis or you know uh, looking at uh, influencers or we're trying to understand conversation, I then go on online myself and I start looking at it in real time. And trying to understand what I've just learned in this aggregate report around this patient population, this physician population. And now I want to go see it in real time and see, like, how is it really playing out? And then, again, what is the intersection point for us? So, again, I kind of probably nerd out more than most people. And I feel like it's part of my job. And, you know, I really try to evangelize it because I really think it's... It's the crux of, you know, how can you, if you don't know what the gaps are, or the white space or the unmet need or whatever, you know, however you want to position this stuff and what it is, I don't know how you can offer something because I think you're going to be, you know, throwing a dart in the wall and just, I'm hoping that you hit, you hit it and you probably aren't. You know, I think a lot of times we push out, we don't really think about how it's landing. We just check the box and say great hey we did it
1: well thank you for uh, that's a great lesson and i think all of us could and should be doing more with it and i think when it comes naturally then that helps i don't want to yada yada over the part that (laughs) you just mentioned that now you are a patient and you do have a rare disease i won't get into the details but has that changed the way you've looked at your job at all i know we talked earlier about you know being a consumer and but it's a little different looking in a microwave and you're having a problem versus yeah now i am one of the people that you know my company actually targets even if you're yeah a different disease states
0: so. yeah no absolutely it's totally changed so I actually i don't mind talking about it because there's not a lot of awareness about it so i have this um rare disease called achalasia and it's um a failure to relax of my esophagus sphincter and it, it caused um, basically food and liquid not to get into my stomach. So I had had an operation to, to fix that. Uh, but I had never heard of this. It's an esophageal motility disorder, essentially. And um, it's autoimmune based. So it, it's, it's rare, about one in 100,000 or so have it. It's growing, in, in, unfortunately, in, in diagnoses, but uh, or prevalence. But, um, you know, when... I was diagnosed with it, which was part of the reason why this podcast originally got delayed too is because I was having all of these issues and symptoms and things. We couldn't figure it out for uh, about a couple of months. Um, I went to social media and I was like, is anyone talking about this? What is this, achalasia? What does it even mean? And I again, I nerded out. I went on, I searched podcast. I searched um, PubMed. I searched uh, Twitter and Facebook for groups. And, and I found a, a lot of stuff out there. And it really was a relief, because at least there was some information that I could uh, learn about what I was dealing with. And obviously, I asked my physician and my surgeon all these questions. But um, for me, it was just a great way to connect, right, as more kind of human way and figure out how much information I really wanted at the time. And of course, I I guess, again, I wanted a lot. Um, But then processing all of that and figuring out, okay, maybe it was too much. And I'm I'm at this stage and come back when I have these questions. And, you know, I love Facebook groups now because I think I've joined like so many as a result of this uh, because I've learned a lot and there's so much sharing there. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, there's a couple groups I've dropped out of because it can get negative and can be depressing and hard. But I think it's always a great uh, for me. It was just a great learning of of right. What was my treatment? journey what was my you know sort of you know from diagnosis onward and how did i learn about my options because i had a couple of different treatment options to pursue and, and and make some of those decisions so hearing from other people and hearing you know podcasts from physicians and i you know i watched videos of presentations. And, you know, thankfully, I'm in this field. So I, I was able to understand quite a bit of it. So my questions to my physicians were limited, but they were very focused, because I really wanted to make sure that I understood certain aspects and um, looked at outcomes and things like that nature. And so, you know, I'll never get the movement of my esophagus back. So my life is different as a result of it. But Um, I'm on the other side of it and I feel, I feel great. So, um, and I'm really grateful for, for all of the folks on my care team, right. That helped me through this and uh, still help me. So it's, it's, it really just sort of changes, I mean, you know, I think a lot of things about how I'm writing that next, you know, social media ad copy and how I might, you know, approach uh, a brand planning discussion and thinking about, my own experiences and what I learned. Again, very different than some of the other things that we're actually working on here at Cell Team, but but really, I think there are a lot of takeaways
1: that I think I will apply for the rest of my life, frankly, from this experience. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you feel great, and thank you very much for sharing that, because I think, you know, it is good to let people know that um, it is okay to share that, and absolutely, the you know, process of triangulating. Uh, this is like a completely <laughs> 180, but I do want to shift into these last few questions sure. and be respectful of your time, but... Um, Looking at the more macro space in healthcare, we've talked more about, you know, social, we've talked a little bit about reaching people. Any predictions for what the next five years hold in store?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I thought a little bit about this. Um, I am not a prognosticator, but... um and, and, I, and I have no crystal ball. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things in, happening in healthcare that I know a little bit about. And we've had some conversations in the past about AI. And, you know, there's um, there's just, uh, I mean, you know, really thinking about how pharma's trying to go more digital, more tech, and those collaborations that they're doing with Apple and others. And I think that's exciting and great. I'm glad it's finally here. At the same time, my sort of things that I think about, about where we're going, um, or at least where I hope we're going based on things that I'm trying to drive and, and what I'm you know, what's impacting me. So things like privacy and regulation of social media channels, it's coming. It's, you know, obviously already here in Europe, we're seeing some changes in privacy laws in the United States. Um, Obviously um, there was news today around some things that Facebook is doing to kind of really regulate themselves and kind of make sure that they're being fair and balanced and safe. Um, So I I think there's going to be more of that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more, you know, if there's actual legislation at some point that really governs, you know, some of these channels and what they can and cannot do. I think, What I'm excited about is, you know, what I heard recently that on Facebook in particular, there are over, and this is coming from Facebook, 175 or so uh, branded and unbranded pages that have launched in the last couple of years. And that's, that may not seem like a big number, but it really is. Given how, you know, years ago when I was at another pharmaceutical company, this is back in 2000, six or seven or so, we were just starting to work on our policy. And it took them two more years after I left to get it on the ground and, and actually launch, you know, uh, a channel. And then I fast forward to, you know, where I am now. And, and we, you know, we're still fairly, you know, in an in infancy stage as well. But, but that's exciting to me. I think we're going to see um, this immense growth in this space with pharma doing a lot more. I think these channels are going to figure out how to better work with pharma, with the regulations that we have. Um, we're already seeing that with Twitter as well. And so I think uh, it's just going to continue to evolve. Probably, I think it's going to pick up more than it has in the past, because there's enough examples now out there that people can learn from if they're afraid to trail, you know, a new path. But um, I think that's a kind of exciting and big one. I think, you know, this is my this is my own prediction, um, and it may not be based on any fact, but I, you know... It's again as a as a, my own um, kind of you know user of these uh, of these tools out there and social in general. You know, I um, love creating content for certain things that I do, um, my side hustle kind of thing, and I always am intrigued by you know brands and how all types of brands, uh, pharma and not, how they're creating content. And I think what I hope to see, and maybe it's, so it's not really a prediction, but I want to see this happen, is that brands get away from this stylized, very kind of, we need to the, you know, go out and get a camera crew and do all this kind of, you know, high end work and get back to kind of more basic, kind of more real content development. So it's like, we, you know, I think a lot of companies love getting UGC, right? Oh, they love seeing their brand in real world or people talking about their products in some way. And then they want to use that and share that. I'm like, well, why aren't you creating that on your own? It's not hard, you know? So, so I really sort of focus on doing that myself, which is not easy, Uh, trying to get real stories from real patients and real people and and kind of really putting that out there in a real authentic way and not using anything too fancy to make it slick and exciting. I mean, great, we would like things to be clean and neat and great, but I I think you know, I'd love to see, so it's not a prediction, but it's a wish, uh, of content being a little bit more real, more authentic. Um, You can still get it approved before you have to put it out, Um, but really reflecting, again, what everyone else is doing. I mean, I think that's the, you know, I don't want an ad to feel like an ad.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've seen the pendulum swing back and forth where everything was high creative and then everything was UGC. And then it's like, well, UGC maybe doesn't meet the barrier. And then you have found this middle ground. And let's look at something like a Blair Witch, right, which came out (laughs) a completely different industry. But that changed the, the way a lot of horror movies got made where you had that kind of claustrophobic, very tight angled Look, and now you've taken that much farther and and people have done amazing things with that. So Mm -hmm. I would love to see that happen as well. And I I like those sort of closer in um, prognostications because I know people can (laughs) get really big picture with telemedicine and AI. Yeah. And I I
0: think those are all great, wonderful things that I hope do happen. And I I just take it closer to a little bit more of like my world and my day-to-day. Yeah. you're you're speaking from
1: where you're an expert. So that's helpful. This is the place where I do like to shift into a little more about you and you have already sort of (laughs) dropped one, you know, surprise on us, which some people probably already knew, but, um, I like to ask guests, tell us something about yourself that people don't know that you're willing to share with them.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. So, um, you know, working in corporate world, like you have your stat answer. Like, you know, I usually tell people that I was a cheerleader through like junior high, high school and college. And that usually, you know, is like a jaw dropper to folks because they don't really see me as that. Um, But I decided to share something really even simpler than that. Um, And that is, I'm actually a pretty silly person. I don't think people really know that about me. Um, I have a really... um, (laughs) really sort of twisted but simple you know sort of sense of humor and um, I think more people that I know if you would ask them they'd be like oh you know she's a little bit more serious you know and even some of my close friends would say that I'm serious Um, but you know those who really know me and spend time with me know that I am completely a goofball and, and really sort of very 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 silly and so I think you know, whatever I'm trying to maybe mask sometimes it, underneath it all, the things that go through my head, I mean, I'm always making inappropriate associations in my head and the, it just, it's just constant. And I'm always like, I got to rein that in. It's not the appropriate place to do that. So, um, I know it's kind of a simple thing, but it's, it's sort of, I thought it would be like you know, a little different to share that. that well, something I, I, I know about I when. like
1: that a lot. That is like a <laughs> deeper share than, than uh, most people would give. And I look forward to maybe seeing a little bit more of that side of you someday. Um, Next one is really helping people, you know, build their libraries, or I've started to expand this a little bit to podcasts if people Mm. want to share podcasts instead, but a book that you've read or anything you're listening to that, um, you know, has inspired you that you'd like to share with the audience.
0: Sure. Uh, this was actually a hard one too. So, um, I'm one of those people that reads a lot of books at once. Um, and so I never really quite finish things, um, in any expeditious way. Yeah. So I'm reading like three different books and it really based on my mood. So I'm, I'm. Uh, I love The Gene by, um, I'm going to screw up his name, Siddhartha
1: Mukherjee. Jerry. We'll put that on the blog so people yeah. can read that name, but I think they can google it. Yeah, he's it written
0: a couple of really great books about art. He's uh, you know, a, a physician by training and he's got some incredible books about cancer and this one is about the gene and it's thick and um, you know, really really interesting. He goes back to the very origins of how that was discovered and kind of how we began to understand our DNA and all of that stuff. So, really really interesting. He's such a great writer. Um, so I read that, but it's big and um it's not quite a beach read, but you know, when I want to just kind of be cerebral, I guess. I kind of go into that one a lot. Um, I just reread *The Alchemist*, probably because of some things that have happened recently, and needing some sort of inspiration in a different way, and looking for um, looking for some insight of in kind of taking some of the experiences that I've recently had, both professionally and personally, and kind of uh, looking at my journey, uh, you know, in the past and sort of moving forward. So that was something I just finished. Um, and one that I'm just in the middle of as well, um, and this is this is a harder one to read. It's called The Wild Truth, and it's um, by Corinne McCandless. So I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, book that was written by John Krakauer, called Into the Wild.
1: Yes, one of my favorites, actually.
0: Loved it. Uh, I've read all of his stuff, and that one in particular reminded me of my brother, reminded me of some other things. And his. so his sister, um, not John Krakauer's, but the Chris McCandless's sister, Corinne, Just wrote about maybe two years ago or so, um, kind of a response, if you will, to his book, and called the Wild Truth. And it's supposed to be from her perspective about what what really went on with her brother. And it's a hard read, emotionally, personally, and all of that. But I find I'm fascinated by it. You know, as a sister of someone, you know, uh, my brother has passed away too. So it's sort of this idea that oh, you know, there's something doesn't i don't know work but there's a bond there's a link in there not a bond a link that i have that i'm so i'm just curious kind of her perspective on that so that's so there's not, no business books in there unfortunately this time but
1: well and that's okay well i'd argue that the first one the gene yeah if you're in oh, it is. Industry, yes. probably is more business than not and we get a wide variety of uh, answers and i think that helps keep it interesting so those all are, are um cool recommendations Uh, last one. And I love the fact that as we were talking through our prep that you and your husband got into a little bit of a debate about this one, (laughs) but I love to ask everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, you're stranded on a proverbial deserted island. You can only take one album with you to listen to, um, which one would it be and why?
0: Yeah. And I like the caveat you put about no greatest hits or compilations, which was like, forget it. I was like, I can't pick an album. So the way I approached this was, you know, what, what could I listen to all the way through? (laughs) So if I only had one album and this it kind of whittled it down, um, and I sort of then picked it based on the person's voice, and and I love it so much. So it's an older album. Um, I'm familiar with a group called Keen.
1: Yeah, I've heard of Keen before. Yeah. yeah
0: so um,
1: late it, uh, early '90s, maybe late yes, '90s. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So they have an album called "Hopes and Fears," which maybe is apropos for being on an island, um, but. Uh, Tom Chaplin who's the main singer it just got this amazing amazing voice and i happened to see him in concert a couple of years ago with uh, with my husband actually and it just you know the entire album is beautiful and instrumentally orchestrally his voice and i just feel like there's there's i i can listen to every single song and that was my criteria basically it's like could i listen to you know, I kept looking at other albums that I really love, and I was like, eh, there's a couple songs that I really like on that album, and I think it would annoy me if I had to listen to them every single day on an island um, on repeat. So this was one album that stood out to me. I'm sure there's others if I did a little bit more digging uh, that uh, that I could absolutely hear all the time. It just evokes so many different emotions and
1: feelings. Well, double bonus on that one, because I don't think anyone's picked Keen, and that <laughs> for me is like a little bit of a blast from the past. I remember them. Yep. Actually, I liked you know probably two or three songs from them back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I like the criteria, because that's... Some friends and I went through on Facebook and did this exercise of like our favorite top 10 albums from the 70s, 80s and 90s. And Mm. there are a few times where someone's like, what do you mean you don't have the Clash on there? And I said, look, I like four or five songs off of London Calling, but I don't love the whole album. Right. So I went through the exact journey that you did where it might be an artist that I don't like as much. But that album really spoke to me, and it is one where listening to it front to back, you know, made a huge difference. So, uh, anyway, yeah, this has been a ton of fun. <laughs> this is Aaron Stroot, uh CMO of W Two, and host of the What to Know podcast. And I've spent the last half hour with Jalissa Vienna, who is lead global social media person at Celgene Corporation. We're doing this here in this fun room. Thank you. This was actually a fun conversation to have.
0: Great, no, for me too. Thanks so much. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at what slash know